On this episode of the Peter Panda Podcast, we dive deep into the primal connection between man and the hunting dog with my fellow houndsman, Giannis Patelis. Three years ago, Yanni and his family adopted a blue tick hound they dubbed Mingus. Now listen, I've seen my fair share of hound dogs, all the different flavors, and Yanni's pound pup here is a real giant. Weighing in at 80 pounds, Mingus is a stud of a blue tick. Giannis paints the picture of the hardening process only a special few of us have chosen. To not only coexist, but to make family with these incredible cat hunting canines. Raising lion hounds is a lifestyle and a commitment very few could ever fully understand. So listen up. We're going cat hunting with the Latvian eagle, Giannis Patelis. That's his podcast. It's all whitetail, 100% all the uh-huh. time. Yeah. And uh, right now he's doing a stretch. He does a cool thing where. Oh, the dogs are trying to say hi to you. You hear them trying to get out of there? I heard something. There's four of them. He. Uh, let, me turn, let me turn YouTube off here, bud. It's a good song, though. He's on a stretch right now where he's doing a. Uh, I don't know, a month or something of habitat management, habit, land improvement type podcast with dudes that do that. There's guys now that I'm listening to right now. Their whole business is they have a group of people and they'll do consults. If you own some land for 5,000 bucks, they'll come out and basically give you, this is what we think you should do and how you should do it. Just at the consult. But they're also in the business of buying or or leasing properties, farms, starting to work them over to their specs and then basically flipping them and, and selling them. As, or, hunt, as hunting properties. Oh, yeah, 100%. All whitetail. Mm-hmm. Or, like, you call them and say, hey, this is how much money I have. Uh, I would like to have between two and 300 acres, and these are my goals. And they're like, okay. And you can either – they can will just go and find it and build it for you. So it's literally turnkey so that when you come there to start hunting or take ownership of it, like st- it'll it'll start producing 200-inch bucks. Ah, man. I, I don't know. At a glance, that just is like distasteful to me or something. I don't feel like I'm super into it. it it's super a farming. A farm of ag- agricultural approach to – White-tailed deer, yeah, but it's been like that for years. Yeah, I know. I mean, look at Lee Lakoski's made millions doing that shit. That dude's a f- predator. You're talking about Lee and Tiffany? Yeah. Lee. Lee seems to be a bit of a badass bow hunter as far as that. Yeah, I don't know much about him. But, Used to uh, be some engineer, and then he retired, and uh, they built a farm and made a TV show. That's what I got. Yeah. Yeah, and they basically farm whitetails and kill big whitetails. Yeah, but that's what they're doing – you know, on the Paloma where I hunt in South yeah, Texas. Same thing. It's the same thing. Yeah, different style, obviously. It's way different mm. habitat, but I don't, in the Midwest, I don't think they feed them like mm. they do on the Paloma. But, uh, it's a, it's a, it's interesting. It's a strict diet. Yeah. I don't like, like, they talk about creating pinch points by using cyclone fence. You know what that is? Like a like woven the, wire fence. Yeah. Like your backyard. The most artificial way to create a. Like uh, literally funnel. funneling them by. You, <laughs> like maybe we set up a drop net there too and just grab all of them. 
we're going to yeah. manipulate it this much. It's funny listening to them talk about it. They're like, look, if we – you spend all this time and energy and money into putting in this, and you're going to hunt two weeks, and you're looking at possibly – you know your target buck. You're gonna. He's gonna daylight a half dozen times. Maybe you're gonna see him in a ca- in a calendar year. Yeah, like when you're gonna hunt him. Yep. You know. Yeah. You're gonna maybe see him two or three times. Like stack the odds in your favor that when he's out in daylight, he's coming within 25 yards of your tree stand. That's their attitude. Man, it sounds pretty dope, though. I mean. It, yeah, again, I'm sure if you're there and it's your own farm, you're not thinking that like it's just overly uh Does this have anything manufactured? to do with the recent ads I've been hearing on your network about land.com or land.com? You know what? I don't know anything about that. Oh. I, I heard I heard a recent commercial about finding your own facility yeah, I, and buying. Yeah, I, I heard that too, but I always just hit the 30 second. The 15 second forward oh, button. Me too, man. I've got it down pretty well where I can get through the ads and then just start Cal's Week in Review like right on time. Yeah, I didn't realize in my truck the skip button actually works on as a 30-second. Oh, it's a double. You know, because usually like if you're listening to music and you hit that button, it next goes to song. the next song. Next song, yeah. But, here, but yeah, it's just like a 30-second skip. Little uh, Toyota hack there you figured out in your truck no i had to buy i bought a uh aftermarket system replaced all my speakers because i figured i was going to have that truck for a while and uh you know when i'm in a good mood i like to jam music loud and with my kids we're I gonna like t- we're gonna talk about I music like to, more i like to do that and uh so it's funny because they replaced the first front ones first and they're like oh those old ones in the back they're fine they're fine and literally driving home i'm like find a good song find a good song just got my new stereo my new you know speakers all excited to bump a song and pick something out start bumping it and immediately i can just hear the rattle out of the back i'm like fuck damn it so i had to go back and have them do that too <laughs> now it sounds dope though yeah it sounds still, like a new truck is that the, is that the truck in the driveway yeah you know what I, you know what my problem is with Toyotas? No. Well, I'll tell you. They're too small. You're you're six foot two. I'm six foot two. I feel cramped. In that truck? In a to- or in a Tacoma. In, in a Tacoma. What do you is that a that's tundra? That's old tundra. Oh, okay. That's yeah. pretty gangster. I'm the same way. Those no, Tacomas never, are too small. Somehow never go with your truck when we go hunting in the morning. We always get in mine and break shit. I've got uh, leaking fluid, I think, from resulting from my recent, uh, when I broke my Rip. ABS, which I don't know exactly what I broke. You threw a chain, though, and yeah. had some stuff go and now I've got fluid dripping in the uh, in the yard. What color? It. It's like a off green. Hmm. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. I think that's what Jennifer said. I didn't notice it. She was just out plowing, sounds, sounds plowing like she's and just got a cold, and, you know. And noticed that uh you know, yeah. We got all kinds of leaky vehicles at my at my place. The 87 oh. Ford F250, <laughs> hey. you better believe it's leaking. Well, welcome to Belgrade, baby. Every vehicle in this driveway is leaking something except for that nice new sled there. Yeah, nice new sled. Yeah. Um how much snow did you get at your house? Very hard to say because of the wind. You've been there? Or? Yeah. So you got, okay, 
The wind just okay. moves it around. See, it's it hasn't yeah, really yeah. been snowing. It's just been blowing around. But I would say that I guess the day before, the yesterday, whenever the most of the snow came, mm-hmm. I bet you we had over a foot. Bit of snow. Oh yeah, yeah. We got hammered here. We got like six to eight inches, and then we got five, eight miles outside of the valley, headed west this morning, and it just turned into an inch skiff that had blown everywhere. It was just ripping uh, snow drifts everywhere, but not a lot of volume to it. Compared to Bozeman and Belgrade, kind of catch it. It's like a baseball mitt, and the weather comes in from uh, our northwest, mm-hmm. and we just catch it. That's the visual I have of it. Yeah, I like it. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, because still now in my house, it's still blowing sideways and snow everywhere. And I don't know if it's actually snowing, but it's blowing snow around a lot. And here it's balmy. Yeah. Yeah. Big storm hitting the whole country right now. But by the time anybody listens to us talk, the storm will be gone. So, yeah, I love how you, like my buddy, I was talking to him today. He's in Colorado. He's, he's actually getting a warning on his phone. Mm. about the weather conditions and he's laughing about they're telling him everybody's gotta stay inside don't drive anywhere don't do anything prepare 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 and he's like come on people it's winter time man up it's snowing a little bit it's a little cold yeah we'll be fine just learn how to put your chains on uh i completely agree and i pride myself on i got a shitty truck but i've got everything in that truck to get me out of most situations so weather is not going to hold me back from sending it into the mountains cat hunting in the winter time and did you hunt basically today? breaking my truck systematically uh yeah i did huh. I d- the, w- let me wasn't reiterate too cold? i did not hunt today i looked for mountain lion tracks today i think that counts as hunting if you God. found one you would have cut loose course i would have but it doesn't feel like it just you know the feeling it's just like i'm ready to go dogs ready to go everything's ready to go and i and the snow's great just can't find a track it's it's like a frustrating i don't know i can't compare it to anything else but that is hunting hunting and fish in in hunting and fishing where it's like no i i did get up early i did raise the dogs put the collars on drive the roads like i don't know i feel very invested in it and then you don't find a track and it's one of the most i guess frustrating is the word i would use you know the feeling i do but i think that that's lion hunting in a nutshell i don't know i believe it's uh i think it's good for me mentally i think it's a good lion hunting is a good uh exercise for me mentally and physically because it teaches me to slow down engage expectations and commit to consistency i know i got a dude that wants to come out from north carolina and next month and just t- tag along come on and raise up and he's like well i think i can come out for two or three days i'm like that's awesome i'll hunt all three of those mornings well, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, there's a really good chance yeah, yeah, yeah. that you, we can do three days and we're not going to see a mountain lion. <laughs> we were hunting together five, six, seven days ago, and we got to talking about that when we were hiking. I was like, what do you think the honest ratio, what do you think your honest 
hand to God percentage is of like mornings going out and finding a mountain lion track. And you said 10%. Yeah, for me. I think I was more comfortably, uh, more comfortable previous to that conversation being like, here's the deal of mountain lion hunting. It's a, it's a 25, 25, 25, 25. There's 50% chance we're going to see a track. There's 50% chance we're not going to see a track. In recent years in around here, that ratio has gone down. I have more days not seeing tracks. But then once you have a track, the odds of catching the cat and seeing the cat or killing the cat, I believe, is another 50% division. So it's a one in four chance, in my mind, when you go out in the morning that you're going to go catch a mountain lion. But you're, uh, you're saying you're, <laughs> your math doesn't add up to that. No, I think by my uh, catch, it would be 5%. If it's 50% of the time you find a track that you would catch one. Yeah. 5% catch rate. And then if you're going to kill it, well, I guess it'd be just the female to male ratio, which I think is one to one. So it's a 0.25 chance that we're going to catch one that we're going to kill. Pretty low number. Mm -hmm. But hey. I've been surprised. You know, I've been keeping lightning strikes. Shit happens. Oh, for sure. And that's what I tell myself every day. It's a new day, and that's kind of the cool part about it too. Is that even if you know somebody hunted your eight, uh, not your spot, but a spot the day before, yeah, it completely doesn't that matter. Doesn't matter. It's the slate is wiped clean every single day. Yeah, it's not like an elk spot where it's like, oh, some some dudes rolled in there and put a camp in. Mm -hmm. It's done. It's not like that. It's like, nope, it's going to turn cold tonight, maybe snow a half an inch, and it is a brand new, full, untapped opportunity yeah. each and every morning. I think from what I've heard, again, a lot of this, this stuff that I talk about is secondhand information from other houndsmen, but it certainly seems like there can be some localized uh local cats that hang that are home bodies to certain areas certain drainages oh for sure and i know people that say they have caught the same cat several times in a winter by hunting the same spot yep um and uh i've even been sent to a spot and someone said oh yeah there's always a female in she's there right, she's right here yes <laughs> yeah i mean not quite that close but basically if you circumnavigate this ridge <laughs> probably cut this female's track and she's probably going to jump out of the tree and i go there and sure enough it happened you and know? she was a jumpy little female yeah a lot of young female lions are she jumpy. wasn't a little one she, she was, was big a, eh? yeah she was a mature mature cat my um, experience has been females are going to jump toms are going to fall asleep and like be super unimpressed with you hmm. most of the time i have seen toms jump but I've also seen more of them fall asleep just right in front of us. I keep hearing impressed. about that, and I tell people about that, that I hear that, but I've never seen it myself. Yeah. You know what I haven't seen? I've never seen a lion outcropped. Uh, maybe we, I think we talked about this. Uh, a bait-up lion. Yeah, a bait-up lion on, like, a rock pinnacle, like that textbook dry ground lion hound photo. Mm-hmm um my friend i'd never seen that my friend got her first bay up yesterday a montana catch yeah looks looks like a 
full-grown mountain lion. That's sweet. It didn't go up a tree. It just stood there. Yep. He said it got really, really, really close to her dogs, and she was getting nervous, and she was walking in there trying to figure out how to deal with the situation. Mm -hmm. And then finally it buggered, and it left. Ran down the rocks, left off the cliff, and then she was able to quickly she gather her, she her, her dogs, dogs and, and went on their way. This is a gal in the Paradise Valley over there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, what was it, a female? I don't know if she could tell by just yeah, that's a good just point. standing there. When I looked at it, it looked like its belly was hanging there a little bit. Um, we're going to back up. Okay. You got a full beer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right. That's good. Uh, what was your first hunting dog or your first interaction with hunting dogs? Did you grow up with hunting dogs of any flavor? I did not. You did not. At what age did you go on a duck hunt or a bobcat hunt or a pheasant hunt and see a first working dog? Man, uh, late in life, I would say. I mean, depends. That's that's a that's a, all context and relative when you say late in life. But I would probably have to say that my first. Well, I, my brother-in-law has always had labs that he trains for retrieval of ducks. And but you didn't always have a brother-in-law. <laughs> no, no, I got I had a brother-in-law about couple of days before my 25th birthday okay and so somewhere in that space i probably went on a duck hunt with him and one of his dogs we never because we we're always getting together around family activities and so we're never we never would get together specifically to hunt so we never had great duck hunts so i would say really the first time i got to see awesome dog work is probably when we went with kevin murphy and got to watch his dogs work his beagles work rabbits and then his curves work the squirrels very cool so which i really dug yeah my first dog experience was similar in the hardwoods of the midwest of america seeing beagles chase cottontails in southwest ohio so kevin murphy's dogs the first time you've seen work hunting dogs in the flesh did you always like them do you do you like them now Oh, I love them. I don't know if I always liked them. I guess I was indifferent. Did you have dogs throughout your life? We had one growing up. He probably passed when I was maybe. What kind of dog? I think he was, a, if I remember correctly, like an old English sheep dog, shepherd something. Very fluffy, big, not okay. a common dog. Okay. And I have no, that's just what I remember. His name is Morris. Hmm. But I want to say he passed when I was 10. And then we never had another dog. And then I, I got a dog when I got married because Jennifer had one. She had a black lab boxer mix. You inherited – are you uh, – Married one. Married one. Got two for one, you know. She How? was a great dog, but she was just – she was a total just hangout dog. She didn't hunt. Hmm. she go hike with you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, what was your first introduction to – hound dogs of any flavor well do you call i mean if you call uh those curs that tree squirrels hound that's not what i'm talking about <laughs> okay i'm talking about blue ticks red bones and walkers or plot or plots you gotta throw plots in there yeah, um not beagles 
No, we're not. We ain't talking about <laughs> blood. Small, we're not talking about small, small game. Not okay. Uh, well, bloodhounds can track cats. Uh, God, they're very so, slowly. I seen a bloodhound recently. It makes me want to get one. They're fa- it's just how did evolution put that much skin? Yeah. On and their why? skull. Why? The way I understand it is a hound dog has big ears for circulation and mm-hmm. to cool, you know to cool down and to waft scent up to their face mm-hmm. as they run and it kind of laps it into their nose mm-hmm. uh let's get some bloodhounds we'd be the bloodhound gang our buddy jake you know that we both know he uh says that on the on there's like he has like four levels of hunting dogs and he says that mingus falls on a two a bloodhound is a one and a lot of this has to do with speed and how fast they're gonna hunt mm-hmm. and then the threes are his dogs and then which are these which are treeing walkers and then there's fours which he says are like the super souped up like kind of out of control can't trust them and some people have them but they and they can be great, but they can they're just they're yeah. kind of crazy. You yeah, can't really like, control them. They're like the super NFL superstars. Like he's either gonna catch the winning touchdown pass, yeah. or he's gonna burn it down and, and yeah. lose the game. I'm very happy with a uh, uh, two speed dog. Not that he has two speeds, but one that runs at this in in second gear. It's plenty fast enough for me. Mm. I yeah, think, I can't keep up with them in, in any yeah. of their gears. Yeah. And it's not like I've ever been standing around going, gosh, I wish he'd hurry up. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> I wish this dog could just. But uh, I would say that my, so then my first ones would be when we, when Steve and I went and did a episode in Idaho with Bart George and Bruce Duncan. Is this the U- the Onyx YouTube yeah. film? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And, and we y'all, chase lions. Y'all cut a bunch of tracks and Steve shoots a, shoots tom and it mm-hmm. falls out of the tree all crazy into like a creek into it right into, into a, a creek. creek or something yeah 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 things can get a little western on a lion hunt it's funny it's oh that was yeah the most straightforward thing for a lot of people it's like the most difficult easy shot of their life we'll get we don't have to dive into that right now we're going to talk more about uh your resume as a lion hunter because i call you a lot li- i think of you as a lion hunter a houndsman I've made don't, it. i don't believe yeah i don't believe you deserve that title unless you bought yourself a dog and went and scratched in the dirt and tried to catch a lion by yourself and you have done that yes i a few times not many but a couple i, I too at the ripe age of 22 kind of subjected myself to the same goal and got my first dog sphinx and most of the lines i've seen today were just sphinx and i feel like i've caught more cats and learned more things from just sphinx solo hunting than i have with a pack um so the when you hunted in idaho and steve got his cat you just thought it was cool tracking them and learning about the predatory activities of them or did you as a hunter want to hunt one too or did mm. you fall in love with the dogs i didn't i won't say i have a real i didn't have an urge to kill one don't really have a great bloodlust urge to kill one now mm-hmm. no when i kill one has it been my goal all season yes yeah 
but I'll be very happy still if it takes us a couple years until we find the right cat because I think the actual fun for me is just going out there, finding the track. Like, it's an amazing feeling. We just talked about it. You go out 10 days and don't find one. When you finally cut a lion track and it looks fresh enough and you can see that there's a chance. It's a buoyant moment. It's a great feeling. It's super fun. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I don't – that that's, uh, that's our job as the as the houndsman is to find that track after that dogs get to go to work but like that's like i did it mm-hmm. <laughs> i did my job time for the dogs to go to work and sometimes it takes days and weeks yeah and at that point really all you got to do after you cut them loose is then go retrieve them mm-hmm. when it's all said and done um but i don't know i think like anybody that goes on their first hound hunt it was such a learning experience because you have preconceived ideas oh, excuse me, about what it's going to be like. It's a and, bit of and like when, sensory overload. And when you get there, yeah, I don't know about that, but it, it's just, again, pe- I just, it, because of the story that's been told around hound hunting and what's been shown in media or been written about, I mean, it's not true. There's g- good old books written about hound hunting but they haven't been read by a lot of people. That's that's right. And a couple of them are on the shelf over there. Yeah. Um, the Long Walkers. Oh, I haven't read that one. I'll send you home with some. But uh, yeah, just just seeing what it takes and the effort. I mean, we were sending out. We had our group looking for tracks, and I think there was one or two other groups going in different directions. Because, again, it's like, oh, you have five days, but you can only cover so much ground in a day. Mm-hmm. So if you can, if someone volunteers and a friend is like, oh, yeah, I'll go and check the, you know, the eastern drainages of this big, area. Big win. Great. Uh, it's it's huge just huge. To, have, to have more eyes. Um, I call that casting a bigger net. That's right. That's um, a fishing analogy. So yeah, just learning what uh, what what all went into it, and I mean, I think we got it on the third day, if I'm not mistaken. But you all were covered up in tracks. As far as I remember that episode, you were like sorting. You're like, yeah, this one's too old. This, yeah, you know, the episodes are always a little bit of a mm-hmm. twisted version of reality. I think we did cut maybe a female track the first morning, and it was just wasn't long enough so we just left it alone kept looking if you wanted any lion hunting video to be accurate and real it would have to be like a four day long youtube video yeah for it to actually do it for justice sure. yeah and it's gonna be boring because it's just so much time spent either driving in the truck hiking snowmobiling just looking 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 yeah i i hate the the sedentary part of it like oh yeah i, I want to go i want to go hiking or i want to but you can. And it's it's just, always an option to go hunt hey, drainages that you can't drive hey, into. I'm well aware of that. <laughs> but I am telling you, I spend more hours in my truck just by default, hauling a snowmobile, driving the hounds around, getting to a trailhead to hike, whatever, than I, yeah. I bet I, bet I drive 70,000 miles a year, 70 to 100, maybe. I drive a lot. That's a lot of driving. Yeah, you're looking at me like you don't believe me. <laughs> it's a lot of that's driving. Too much. Hundred thousand is like your average long haul trucker. I know. That's that's what that's I an, that's what I am. You are. Yeah. Yeah. You just haul ounds. Well, 
Long Haul Pete. Uh, so, yeah, I wouldn't say that at all f- fell in love with it, but I learned enough about it on that hunt to have a healthy respect. And, a- again, what's been a very common theme is hanging out with houndsmen. You meet some of the better woodsmen, and these can be hounds, women, and woods women too. Um, but uh, y- you meet uh, people that are very impressive in the woods uh, with their tracking skills, they're just general observation of conditions. And um, that that was one thing that really piqued my interest. And when the opportunity then came up for me to become a houndsman, I was like, all right, I'll do this because I know it's going to be beneficial to my my wood skills. Overall, your overall outdoor skill set is going to benefit from this. And that's pretty popularly accepted that your average houndsman – is typically a pretty good hunter and knows how to trap or track or or do things that your average deer hunter doesn't do in a year um that's why i like it too i think i think lion hunting takes you to places on the mountainside that following a big predator will take you to places on the landscape that deer and elk hunting or ungulate hunting will never take you to whether it's through a cliff line or coming to a kill site or just seeing how that cat works a particular draw or pinch point. And I don't know. It just makes, makes you more aware, I think, as a predator. And we're predators as hunters. Mm-hmm. Just wish I could kill stuff with my face. I guess uh, if I get ugly enough, I can. So you said you had the opportunity to become a houndsman. That's uh, not how I would have worded how you got Mingus. I would have worded it. You went to the pound and got a hound. Mm-hmm. But not because I was looking for a hound. I know. I know. My kids wanted a dog. Mm-hmm. I had been researching hunting dogs for th- over a year, which is partially why it came to a head, because my kids were getting uh, bored of me searching for dogs what was on your everything everything yeah i didn't really didn't know mm. i was really kind of i don't want to say i'm anti-lab but there are just so many labs and i know they're great and er, all the labs i know are great and they're fun to be around with and they're so loving i mean, it's, it's a lot of times it's like really another they lab get, <laughs> they get fat and they die when they're nine and it's heartbreaking and i don't need any i raised one i won't do it again um, so I, I don't know. I just, and, and plus I'm not huge bird guy, right? Man. I like eating birds. I like shooting birds. Turkey's the exception. I'm quick to say I'm not a bird guy either, but I love hunting them turkeys. So that's yeah. the one exception. But they're the, they're the avian big game. That's right. Know? They're so different. It's not really bird. It's not flushing bird. Yeah. It's not the bird. Even when you flush them in the fall and then call them back in, it's still not bird hunting. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I was, look, I had, I had seriously considered squirrel dogs. I got a lot of hookups for squirrel dogs through Kevin Murphy and like and, getting and, a little and others. Yeah. And what, what and I, and I really liked, and honestly, like the summer before I had fished with the Jack Russell. That was a really cool dog. Very it was cool. a great dog to have on the river with us. I like a small dog and I'm talking real small. Hmm. They're, 
Makes you they, feel big. They don't, don't I guess. <laughs> but they don't take up a lot of room. They don't eat a lot. Uh, they don't have big poop. Everything you're saying is correct. And just like the opposite of what I, as a young man, like buying my first dogs and stuff went for. I did. I know that now. Yeah. And I want small dogs now. No, I mean, why? Especially now with, I mean, Mingus is great, and I love Mingus, but Jake, Jake, Jake the other day said, well, if you're thinking about a second hound, which I am, I know your wife's not, well, I am, he's like, you need to know what you're looking for. You need to start thinking about that so that you're asking the right questions and looking at the right dogs. And he says, so what do you want? I said, oh, I want another Mingus, but half the size. Yep. <laughs> And honestly, if it was a quarter of the size, if it was a 20 or 25 pound dog, as long as it, he can, it, she, he, she can make it through, you know, a couple, three feet of snow and not get too bogged down and they can go, uh, they're going to get the job done. Well, there's pros and cons to, to all the different uh, sizes of hound dogs. The little ones have more endurance, uh, but maybe they don't go as fast. The big ones are quicker to jump them and tree them, but maybe they burn up and don't have the the gas tank that the little ones have. And then carting them around, that's what, one of the biggest things, just living with these dogs, getting them from A to B, and, uh, yeah, they're just – my biggest dog is Trax, and he's a, a blue tick mutt, and I bet he's 65 pounds, but he's got a big frame. Mingus dwarfs him. What does Mingus weigh? Eighty. God damn. What are you feeding? He does tall. look. He looks a little overfed. I'll tell. I'll tell it to your face. <laughs> he looks thick. He looks he like healthy, but. Well, he's all, all on my dogs. I could see their. I could see their hips. Maybe I should be feeding more. Mingus is on a because, and this is it. Definitely, is, it stems from when we got him. He was a bag of bones sickly almost looking so tell me more about that where did you find him we got him at the the stafford shelter in livingston was it was it a jerk purchase i know you were looking for dogs but was it like a impulsive thing well you and your family did i mean the girls were on their way when they called me and said there's three blue tick puppies mm -hmm. at the shelter we're heading down there if you want to have any input you should get down there too mm-hmm and, you know, with, with – and it was just pre-COVID. And I don't know if it was anything to do with COVID because I don't even really think COVID had really become a thing yet and all the impulse buying of COVID hadn't happened because a lot of people got dogs during Is COVID. that right? Oh, yeah. That – I had, I did not know that. Oh, yeah. I had, a lot of COVID dogs. Makes a lot of sense. But uh, in general, the, uh, the shelters around here, puppies especially, uh, they go fast. And huh. so – you got to jump on it when. It, so, anyways, we went down there, and I told Jennifer on the phone, "I'm like, we go down there with We're two puppies and our girls. Like, it's it's gonna be We're not, very hard to leave without one." Yeah, hundred percent. You're you're realistic. And so I'm like driving down the interstate, researching blue ticks, and calling her and be like, "It says these things could be up to like 90 pounds." <laughs> Just a heads up, you know. And I, again, at that moment, I still had no plan that I, I wasn't thinking, oh, I'll get this hound and I'll start chasing lions. Had not really crossed my mind. Wow. My girls are just like. 
So we want a dog. She's like, there's these blue ticks. I'm like, all right. Hmm. I've heard good things about blue ticks. I had a barber back in Colorado way back in the day. There was a friend of mine. She had a blue tick. She loved it. I can't remember if it was a boy or a girl. She said it talked a lot, sang, <laughs> and made you know funny moans and noises. So a big personality. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we went down there, and the guy at the shelter opens the, ca- the kennel door and shoves my two girls in there with the puppies and closes the latch behind them, and they just got three puppies just jumping all over them. Yeah, that seems uh, aggressive sales tactics. Oh, but it worked. Oh, I'm sure it did. He could have pushed me in there and locked the door behind me and been like, I'll take I'll three. I'll take two. Yeah. yeah like, <laughs> nice guy. You got me. So we chose the runt. How old was he? Three months-ish. Three months. So what is that? Is he like 20, 20 pounds? Um, 25 yeah. pounds? Yeah. yeah, he could have been right in that range. I think most people are familiar with like an eight week. People will get their dogs when they're eight weeks old. Yeah, super normal. Yeah, he was mo- he was he a little was, bigger, a little bigger than that. Yeah, I think when he if he sat on his butt and had you know like how do you say that had sat on his haunches, mm-hmm. he probably sat still two He'd be feet, like a two feet tall, a full grown giant western jackrabbit. Sometimes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the girls picked him out, or you pick him out? Oh we did as a family mm-hmm. the the biggest with the, the runt you said yeah the biggest one was he doesn't look like a runt to me. no he doesn't and again it could have just been because he was maybe just a, a little bit just didn't get the amount of food that his two brothers did the female was already gone and so there was four but the other two they, were, were they just, from a res i think so harden did you get a, any story yeah they're from just, that's it yeah, it was just okay. har- har- barn and harden yeah it sounds about right and, um, yeah, he was a bag of bones, very mellow, kind of chilling. While I mean, he was still jumping around, but he would take a break, and the other two just weren't quitting, just bouncing off the walls, having, God, having a great that's time. That's the problem with judging puppies in that little window of time, though. Because you could have gone back to that shelter an hour later, and Mingus would have been the super crazy one, and the other two wouldn't have been – I have a hard time going into a shelter and, like, just – you can't not do it. But you go in and you make these assumptions about these dogs in such a short time window. Like, this is the chill one. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, we met him for five minutes. Yeah, you just got to gotta go for it. Yeah, he, he was a little rambunctious as a puppy, but not crazy. He's definitely grown into one very chill dog. I remember the weeks following this – you, I think, had some regret. I remember texts back and forth from you. Where you were like, it, were your hounds this rambunctious? Like, is oh. this, this normal? I remember getting texts from you and being like, is this in your experience uh, normal? Normal? Yeah. Like, this dog's fucking crazy. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, enjoy the first two years. It's going to be a roller coaster. Hmm. I, don't remember. I remember asking you a lot of questions, but I felt like it was just coming from a place of, I don't know anything. And I know that you have some of these mm-hmm. dogs. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, he chewed up a couple things, but it really was never that bad. Never any furniture, like one piece of trim in the house. Did he ever kill your chickens or turkeys? No. Nope. He didn't. No, but he also has worn a shot collar his whole life. And yeah. so when he 
if he if he was ever messed around too much, he probably got zapped. How old is he now? Three. He's three years ago. Yeah, he might be coming on three and a half. We say his birthday is November first, so that's how many months ago? Four months ago now. Mm-hmm. Four and a half. So yeah, he's coming on three and a half. Yeah, I lose track of all the dogs' ages. Sphinx is getting super old, and I just don't want to confront it. He still likes to get up and go hunting, but I don't like to grind him out in these cold temperatures or anything like this. I kind of cherry-pick the days I'm going to take him out. Mm-hmm. What does Mingus mean? It's the last name of a famous jazz musician named Charles Mingus. Is that right? Yeah, we were we couldn't decide on a name. We had the dog for a, at least a month and hadn't named him yet. And Jennifer was – You was calling him dog? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, we were calling him all kinds of classic hound I'm dogs. Sure, I'm sure your girls were trying out all sorts of nicknames on him. Huckleberry, hound, you know. But, uh, yeah, she saw a poster of Charles Mingus somewhere in town. And she saw Mingus and was like, all right, that's his name. Wow. I would have bet every penny in my pocket that it was some Latvian deal. And maybe shame on me for making assumptions. I was ready for you to be like, yeah, Mingus was a Latvian war hero. And man, he's a jazz musician. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Did you know Jake at the time? So you you had a relationship yeah. with, uh, what's his name, Bart George? Mm-hmm. Guy's got two first names. Mm-hmm. And Bart George is the large carnivore biologist on a reservation somewhere? Uh, I think he might just be like a – I don't know if it's large carnivore. I want to say he's just a wildlife – lead wildlife biologist on the – he works for the Kalispell tribe. It's Montana dirt. Uh, well, it's not. It's would be Kalispell. No, it's it's uh, Washington. That's what I Eastern thought. Eastern yeah. Washington, yeah. And, uh, but yeah, he's he's a houndsman. And your relationship with him probably was in tandem with getting Mingus a little bit in the last couple of years, or were you hunting with him? Because I know you've gone and darted cats with him. Yeah, I, I got more interested in that after I got Mingus, mm-hmm. and it was a great way for Mingus to get some trees under his belt because you basically when I go out there, Mingus is is part of Bart's research. Like that dog is on the paperwork because no, you can't just show up and be a part of it, right? It's very controlled in Washington. You can't run hounds. That's right. Um, so my name and Mingus's name are part of that research, so that if we show up. We can participate. That's you know? cool. And you pretty much know you're going to run some cats. I was watching a video of you guys the other day, and it's must be summertime or something, but you're coming up playing playing a, a podcast meat. real loud. Uh-huh. And I think you get within 80 yards of this female cat in this thick brush. Oh, no. It's like, like she's right here. No, like and then 12 she, feet. Oh, is that right? Like three or four yards. Did you ever see it? Never. Remember that it got time? away, and I, I can't believe we didn't see it. Remember that time we saw a cat? Turkey hunting? Turkey hunting, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that was a big tom. I replay that in my head and see that cat 
crossed the road and it went up and stood on that little cliffy thing to the right. I think that was a nice tom. Hmm. That's how I choose to remember. You didn't get any video? I did. I did. I do have a video of that. I'll resurrect that. Yeah, I don't remember it having like a surprisingly large stature when I saw it, but who knows? A long time ago. How I certainly ago? wasn't looking How at it as closely as you were. Five years ago? Yeah, if I had to throw a round number at it, I'd say five. So you got Mingus. Your interest in becoming a better woodsman evolves with getting a blue tick hound. And you start your journey of being a Montana houndsman and trying to chase cats. That's all. Which you ever chase bears with them? Mm-mm. I don't do it either. So you you are solely focused on raising a blue tick hound to hunt cats. But I guess you're taking coon hunting too. Yes. We've treated coons in Montana and in Arkansas. We got to find a spot to do that here. Yeah, I'm working on a couple. You know, there's anywhere on the river you can do it, but a lot of those spots are so small, the public chunks on rivers that you feel like the dogs yeah. are going to be on some private pretty quickly. And, you know, but, uh, yeah, no, I'd like to do uh, more of that. Cause I, you know, I, I get a, you know, anytime Mingus trees anything, it's uh, great. <laughs> yeah, even if it's the neighbor's cat, huh? Yeah, he hasn't done that. He, he treat, hasn't. He, no. You haven't had a neighborhood situation yet? <clears throat> oh, you will. Yeah, but I don't know how many people have cats, and our neighborhood is very sparsely populated, so as long as he stays say, around the house. going to out there. Yeah. He's treed two mountain lions in our backyard. That's pretty gangster. <laughs> Wouldn't one of them, your mom called you, and you were like, there's a lynx in a tree. Uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> well, there were two mountain lion kittens that had lost their mom. Right. And uh, so he treed both of them in one evening. But, uh, yeah, they weren't biggins. That's a good dog. He uh, treated a cat behind a hotel somewhere in South Dakota, maybe? Nice. Yeah. You were just traveling? Yeah, we were traveling. I think we were coming back from Arkansas. And, uh, I mean, Arkansas, he made some great leaps. Like, he was a young dog, young enough that Clay, even on one hunt, thought he was, you know, kind of messing his dogs up. So, I had to leash him for a bit. Oh, God. Isn't that every dog owner? Hey, I just hold your dogs back for a minute. I think they're messed. Well, yeah, because they don't know your dogs, you know, and they don't uh, know. I know what and they're I've, doing or not doing, or if they can trust them. And I've they did more, slick. They yeah. slick treed once, and so that got Clay uh, kind of bummed out. Um, On a coon? Mm-hmm. How can you even say? Isn't there like a fifty percent chance the things just like fold tucked in somewhere you can't see? Maybe. I don't know what those odds are but that's what I, that's how i picture coon hunting and squirrel hunting too they're like well are they in the a hole somewhere yeah i mean if it's a den tree obviously if you see a hole and they're barking tree you give them the benefit of the doubt that's right that it's in the hole some people would say that you owe it to your dog just to chop that tree down Burn, yeah light it on fire like uh yeah you know where, where the, the red fern grows you that boy what? chopped that tree for like three days. I've never read that book. You should. Well, I hear it's As real sad. I hear it's real sad. It is. You'll cry a little bit. Ah, 
but it's well worth uh, it. I, I don't think I'm up for it. <laughs> be honest with you, I am not in a position to have some crying going on right now. So, three years with Mingus, and you've traveled with him and you've hunted all over with him. Did you get your first solo catch with Mingus this year? Last year. Last year. Tell me about that. Uh, we went to a spot where my buddy said, yeah, try this ridge, mm, this pike it, and good chance you'll run into this female. And we made it 80% of the way around. I mean, we were 10 minutes from hitting our trail from, from where we started. And uh, oh, it was great. Mingus was maybe 100 yards below me, and we're just cutting across this hillside. And almost simultaneously – I look down, and I'm like, oh, I think that's a cat track. And as I'm thinking that, Mingus down below me, boop, you know, he makes like the first, like, I'm on to something. Mingus makes the weirdest noises I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I'm going to get an audio bite and plug it in here if I can. Yeah. It's like a normal, It start, his trail bark starts off with a normal sort of uh, elongated ball, I guess you'd call it. But then it ends with like his his voice breaking and it goes high pitch. It's like a boo. It's something that you'd, you would expect to hear in like a a one year old dog, but he's not. He's a full grown dog. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So yeah. you're free casting right as you see this track. He lights up. Yeah, he's below, below me, and you know I had just enough time to get my phone out and start recording, and he nice. comes by me. The track was in pretty. It was getting warm. It was midday. But last night's track? Hard to say, you know, but it was. Well, how far did you run it? Uh, I mean, as the crow flies, not very far, but it took him quite some time because he basically took it to the top of the ridge. I kind of hung out for a while, then hiked up to the top of the ridge, got to the top of the ridge, and I could start to see on the GPS that he was making what I call like a wagon wheel. Yeah. Lot, a lot of out and backs. Spo- spokes. Yeah, uh, yeah. spokes of a, of a wheel, you know, on the GPS. So he's got a loss. Yeah, he's got a loss, but at least he's looking, he's hunting, and maybe he's taking old tracks out. They're getting old. He's coming back. I don't really know. I mean, it was my first time. But I get up there, and I do – I do. even as I was approaching the top of the ridge, I could see that I was seeing other cat tracks that weren't the same one that we were on, you know, oh, going really? different directions. You're, you're in the bedroom. Yeah, the cat was hanging out yeah, yeah. right in there somewhere. What was way cool about it is that I just as I get on this ridge, <clears throat> it's exposed the direction I can hear Mingus and see Mingus because he's still barking like he's trailed. And it's kind of a, an open rocky bowl. And maybe, I don't know, 150 yards away, I can kind of hear him. And then all of a sudden I see him and he's kind of coming off this ridge and going down a little shoulder of rocks, not moving real fast doing his little trail bark and I literally watch him it was cool because I was recording it and he's doing his trail bark and he goes to this to this tree and I can't see the details of what's going on but I know that I lose him or he stops and then I just hear got him I'm like oh I I think he just did his location bark and then instantly it's boat 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 you know, so he just nonstop starts tree barking. If you're not familiar with hound dogs, you know, the general rule of thumb is as they're trailing something, 
they ball, they have a long howl, and then when they tree something and they put their head up, they'll go to a chop of sorts. Mm-hmm. Most dogs will do this. Yeah. Yeah. But there's also a very specific, at least Clay says. Oh, there, absolutely. There's a very specific, I located the tree sound that comes prior, that's different from the trail bark that comes prior to the chopping. I believe that. And yeah. he definitely does I th- it. I think there's a If you a whole happen to be language. listening when there's he hits the language. tree. Yeah, he's speaking a like whole Like when language. he hits that tree and he's like, I've decided this. Because sometimes he can't see the cat. He's like, signed, sealed, delivered, dad. This, this is, is it. it. I ain't leaving. Yeah, there's like two to four very low-pitched, long, drawn-out foghorns almost. And then he goes into his chop. God, isn't that a beautiful sound? As a As the dog owner, I don't have kids, but the closest thing I get to like proud dad moments is moments like that mm-hmm. when it's like, they, they got it. They got it. And you see it on your GPS and you're sold. Yeah. So yeah, I went, I walked over so, there, it took me 10 minutes and to walk around this, it's kind of a scree rocky ridge top there. And unfortunately I did. I, it was actually it was coming down the hill. It was just sketchy enough where I think I put my phone away, and it was a bummer because I didn't get the cat in that first tree a picture of it, and I really mm-hmm. wish I would have because it was intimidating to me because coming downhill at it, I was actually above the cat coming close. down to it. Yeah. And as I'm getting closer, I'm realizing that I'm going to be less than 20 feet from the cat at, at, at a moment, and Mingus, where he's at, He's if he really wanted to, he could have jumped up and started nipping at the at the tail. You know yeah, what I mean? The yeah. cat didn't tree very high. And as I got in close, and it's one of those things you just learn, but as I got in close, the cat bailed. They went all the way to the bottom of the hill. I mean, they dropped fifteen hundred feet in elevation. And a female cat? Yeah. And she just dipped. Yeah. Just whoosh. And then she treed I think she actually treed twice more she jumped one more time and so it was good for mingus he got to got to tree the cat uh three different times but uh yeah that that was his first cap they smell thick like as a human being like i can smell the lion if Mm -hmm. if a dead if we're taking photos or something obviously everybody standing around is like smell you could smell the cat piss i think is the primary odor uh, but if I was a hound dog and I saw a lion jump out of the tree in front of me and I got to be right on its ass biting at it, I think that flips a lot of switches for dogs, for young dogs. You're like, this is it. There's the lion. And then kill one or two of them in front of them. Give them a little nibble. And I think a lot of switches go off for young dogs. Solo catch. From that day, what's... uh. Well, tell me a story about like a a long and painful hunt. Probably involves a bobcat. Mm, yeah, I mean that same year we trailed. Well, I think it was a bobcat. Looking back on it, I think that Mingus and I uh, trailed tracked uh, quite a few pine martens before we figured out that we were on the wrong track. Thinking you're on a bobcat. Yeah, yeah. Very common. The other day I went to check. A drainage where I was told there was a bobcat track, and when we got there, it was a pine martin track. Turns out it was a weasel. 
easy. Here's a quick tip for you. Uh, a Pine, Mar Pine <laughs> Martin has five toes like a bear and <laughs> a cat or a dog, no matter the flavor, only has four. That's true. And deer and elk just have two hooves. Mm -hmm. But it's the way it spreads out. It's kind of it's circular the way yep. that back foot lands. Hundred percent. And um, and, and yeah, it's it, it, we were it'll we were fool hike. it'll fool people. We were hiking together the other morning in the dark, and there was a fresh Martin track, and I jumped on it. I was like, "What the fuck is that?" You're like, "I think it's a pine Martin," and it was yeah. very blatantly it was, but at a glance, it can look like a small cat. Maybe a bobcat. You had any scary moments with Mingus yet where you felt like he was in danger or you were subjected to I mean, him you know, anytime they bad? jump and he sees him jump, obviously, and when the cat runs, it looks like Mingus is on its tail. I'm sure he is. Um, that gets scary because you think, oh, the cat's just going to, if it turns around and takes a swipe at Mingus, it's going to be big, big problems. But. Nothing yet, you know. I definitely don't like having an agitated cat in a tree. I'd much prefer the one that looks uh, Sleepy. aloof and ambivalent to the situation. Uh, yeah, when they're getting all edgy up there, I'd rather just pull them off. And, you know, it's in my head because so many people have said, I think it's a little bit of a myth because the guys that I trust the most that talk about hounds will tell you that they get in trouble with cats and get hurt by cats is when the cat bays up in a spot where the dogs can get to him. What's that? Yeah, that sounds right. A cave, so, a cave, yeah, a hole, a it can hole be a cave, cave or it can be up on a rock. It can be on just a leaner tree. A lean, yeah, a horizontal Mangus tree. Mangus will climb any tree if he can. That was my next question. Is he a climber? He is, but not like some of these little walker dogs I've seen. Little he won't go limb to limb to limb. Little moose man, my all black uh, blue tick there, he will climb a tree like a trapeze artist. And he'll go out on our back deck and just walk the trim of the patio. At like, It's not a good quality, though, because as a hound, uh, that they're going to fall. They're <laughs> going to fall. And, yeah, it's, it's great that they're enthusiastic and they want to go get that cat and work hard to get up that tree to get it but it ultimately always results in a pretty dangerous situation no i think if i had a tree climber i would i don't care if it was right underneath a cat i'd shock it is that right but oh he, yeah but because you're not, but you're not there you show up 30 minutes later he's been my experience has been when i get there and moose is up in the tree i'm i'm 40 i'm 30 minutes behind whatever it's been going on for a while so it seems like a hard thing for him to connect I don't know. Oh, right. I think you'd in that scenario, I think you'd have to pull him down and then when he went to climb again Then hit him. Hit him. Yeah. That way he could be like, Oh, this thing that I'm doing right now, which is climbing, is not good. That's right. I was talking Because yeah, you, if he's already been up there for forty five minutes and then you shock him, I don't think he's gonna put two and two together. I was running all the hounds down the road yesterday and a group of pronghorn crossed in front of us. And I didn't have my control. I didn't have my hand held on. But they had all their collars on. Anyways, uh, I, w I go diving for the controller because I'm like, man, if they go chasing after these pronghorn, I want to be all over it. And they all just came to a grinding halt in the road. 
and just watched and stood there and watched. When they hit their scent, they just stopped and watched them. And That's about good. that time, I got my controller on. But that was a, another proud dad moment. Um, but you want if if they were to have chased them, my philosophy that I've inherited from my houndsman mentors is that you want them to think the antelope is shocking them, not you. Like you, you're not a part of that. And so like they're. I've heard both ways. I've heard that way where like, don't even show them that you're holding the controller and make it seem like it's coming from the thing that you don't want them to be chasing or doing wrong. But then another guy who I really respect too is like, no, he's like, I will go over there, and as I'm shocking him, I'll like, pin him to the ground. It's me. Yeah, and be like, no, and and then tell him, no, 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 and, and be and be like, I am the one that is telling you, that I'm telling you not to do this. I'm the, your master, and I'm telling you no. And it doesn't matter if it's an elk or a deer or a coyote. When I say no, it means no. Yeah, and I think there's probably uh, some – I think that argument holds some water because they're they're dogs, they're pack animals. Like if you're gonna have an alpha somebody I believe I've got four male hound dogs and I try to be the herd bull for all of them and I think it's a pack dynamic, which is where they come from in the wild. Um but I don't know. I'm really so I'm super soft. I hate disciplining them. Kind of breaks my heart. Yeah, but it's going to break your heart way yeah, worse when yeah. he runs across the road and gets, gets smoked. smoked. Chasing a deer. Well, luckily we don't have that problem. They had a really good demonstration of their restraint with these antelope running in front of them. It was pretty cool. And antelope smell. Antelope got a stank to them. Oh, yeah. Fox got a stank to them. Mm-hmm. Like a strong, you can smell it as a human. Hound dogs have a hard time quitting those too. Yeah, I think that's the last thing that Mingus and I are working on is not chasing fox. Well, that's what we did the other day. I hiked up there. My moose dog and Mingus took off after something, and five minutes later, I, I got a flash of a red fox down in the creek circling us. Lo and behold, these two young dogs were chasing a fox. Which is not a good thing, because that's not what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Although there is got to be a lot of, it's fun. A hound dog, like the fox and the hound. Maybe in Europe, these dogs would be raised to chase that fox. Hundred percent. And it's just uh, encouraging good behaviors and disciplining bad behaviors on. Yeah, and on honestly, I don't. Do. I don't know. I guess if I knew that, eventually, because fox do tree, from what I've heard. What sometimes. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah, it's in some of these old. You, that is not real. Yeah. How? I mean, your dog can climb a tree. Yeah. Okay. Uh, why can't a fox climb a tree? Okay, I can start to buy into that. I because I do think eventually, I think that the hounds would overtake them and just rip them apart. Right, and yeah. I don't want that. Well, the fox doesn't want that either, so maybe he climbs the tree. Right. But if you climb the tree, I'd be happy to go go in there and and you know shoot the fox and then have the pelt. Yeah, and be like, good job. This is a good hunt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Y'all treat something, and we got it. Um. Yeah, because some people are like, well, 
at least the hounds get to do what they're there to do is follow a track out. Yeah, it's hard to – it's kind of some mental gymnastics to be like, yeah, well, to them it has to just be like, this smells good, I want to follow it. But we're trying to curate this one. Yeah. You're allowed, I, I and since it's been 10 days since they got to run anything yeah. or longer. Yeah, a little jumpy. They're bored. Mm-hmm. Me too. They want to run. Me too. Yeah. I wish uh, we should do more fox hunting. I think they're breeding right now. <laughs> it seems like everybody's seen fox. I've seen two dead on the road in the last week. Hmm. I don't think I've seen a dead fox on the road in the last five years. What uh, what snowmobile you driving? It's a uh, Skidoo Tundra with the uh, a new one, six hundred EFI. Yes, brand Spickety. 2023 so when i think of a skidoo tundra i kind of think of a older school sled that's like the houndsman's uh crown jewel and it's this fan cooled heavy low sitting one or two man sled with a big windshield and heated handlebars and a spot for conveniently for a dog box it's got like a basket in the back mm-hmm. a big basket but that's kind of the the houndsman's uh, top shelf sled. You got a twenty twenty two. Yeah, I ordered it last year. I did the whole snow check thing where you give them a check in the spring, and then you get the first one of the first. You know, when they come off the truck, you got your name on one, right? I don't know if you get like a, a little bit of a discount with it too, but. It's basically, you know, it's it's, it's securing, especially because, again, it was on the heels of COVID, and getting a snowmobile was tough. <laughs> getting a puppy was tough, And too, so I, I wanted one, and, uh, yeah. So it's the uh, it's the two-stroke. I didn't go with the four-stroke. So it's like someone said 65 pounds, and then someone else I heard said like 100 pounds lighter than the four-stroke. Um, Have you had to pick it up a few times? <laughs> oh, yeah. No. <laughs> daily when i go ride that thing um it's definitely does not have the juice that my uh 700 did your your rmk yeah that was 20 years old almost um but uh it rides so smooth so nice and yeah the big thing is that it's it's fan cooled and so you you don't even really need snow that's right that's right and sometimes this year has not been the case but last year a lot of days were it's like you're half on snow, half on gravel. Skipping across gravel. Yeah, and my RMK would constantly be, you know, throwing the overheating light, and you trying to pack snow and the right. tunnel and everything. And um, but no, I'm super, super happy with it, and I'm slowly building it out to make it the ultimate, you know, houndsman's rig. I don't have the nice basket box yet on the back. Well, you do have a really sweet kennel. That you, you pull? Sled kennel. Yeah, yeah. That thing's slick. Tell me about that thing. I'm fortunate to have an awesome neighbor who is a metal fabricator. Barton Fabrication, if you're in southwest Montana and you need a handrail, he specializes in handrails. Okay. That's a bit of a tongue-in-cheek, but he probably 75% of his work is handrails. What the fuck does tongue-in-cheek mean? Tongue, like... Um, it's true, but I'm saying it with a little bit of uh, mm. comedy to be a little bit funny okay. because he certainly 
He's not like a handrail specialist, but it just happens. He is. It just happens <laughs> to be that that's what everybody needs in their house is a metal handrail, and yeah. and he installs a lot of them. Um, but he's in a barber shop long enough. Probably gonna get a haircut. <laughs> that's right. He is a uh, very. Uh, it's cool hanging out with him because he he's the hashtag uh, built not bought. Built not bought. Yeah. So he, yeah. So he's like, so it's artwork instead of doing, instead of just always taking the easy route and going to Amazon and having to show up in five days, he's like, let's just make it. I'm like, okay, sure. Sounds good. It's a dream neighbor. And, uh, so yeah, we welded basically a, uh, very simple frame and a couple of snow, old snowmobile skis, uh, that still had their original spindles attached to them on the bottom. That's a win. And then, uh, and then basically fig- figured out a way to attach the kennel to that. and You build it out of aluminum? Originally, it was steel, and it was heavy as all get out. The original rig actually had A-arms and shocks from an even older snowmobile. Yeah, I remember that thing. And, like and that thing would break my war. back Yeah, when I was trying to get it up into uh, onto the trailer. Plus, it's just that much more weight that you're pulling, which is not good for your sled. And so over the summer, we decided to – rework it so he kept the deck is still steel but all the lower part is aluminum the spindles are aluminum uh and it made all the difference in the world how much money you sink into that aluminum's expensive uh he's got a lot of spare oh he's kicking around oh, you, and you so had, you not only had the guy he had the materials yeah too. some of it so okay I, tr- I tried to uh as much as i can feed him and his family some wild game mm-hmm. or my wife's cookies or whatever it is I can say thanks with. I like, I like having healthy relationships with my neighbors. I basically employ half the neighborhood, uh, kids to be dog sitters. I think mm. I've put like two kids through college in the last five years around here. Uh, what is your opinion on raising hound dogs indoors instead of outdoors. People say raising them or just keeping them. Whole picture. People say you're gonna. That's not gonna be a good hunting dog. It's gonna be. It's gonna get soft. It really wasn't. An, I don't have an opinion. It wasn't an option for us. We were, <laughs> we were getting. We we're gonna get a dog that was gonna be half family dog, half hunting dog, or maybe even seventy five percent family dog. I gotta say though, the hounds. They're nice as house dogs, especially if they're hunted because, honestly, honestly, yeah, if, if the bed is in the corner or out of the way, they are you sleepy. can come over to my house and you don't even know we have a dog. Yep. After he comes and greets you for five minutes. He likes to sn- sniff you real good, and then he'll lay down and you won't hear from him until he's hungry. So that's been easy. Uh, you know, the the obviously the kids, we're going to have him in the house. The kids don't – I, I joke sometimes that I'm gonna make a kennel for him down at the barn, and they're not into it whatsoever. They love him. Um, and as far as I can tell, whether he's, excuse me, tough or not, um, you know what I'm talking about though. That's kind of the narrative. I think I think there maybe is just like a urban legend. Call it. It's like, well, you know, you let that dog sleep in your bed, it's not gonna be a good hunting dog. Where these guys have like outdoor kennels with these badass hounds, I I have my own opinions about. It. I was just curious what yours were. Yeah, I you know again I just limited experience and um, 
I think that would happen eventually is uh, probably a lot of times you get too many dogs to have them inside. I mean, you have four inside. That's a lot. Yeah, welcome. I mean, four kids my, is a lot inside my inside hell. your house. So, uh, but I'll tell you what, four well secured bark collars. You haven't even seen a dog since you got here. No, I don't even think you heard. I think one of them pawed at the door. Yeah, that was it. Very well behaved. It's because we have law and order and a hierarchy, <laughs> and these are pack animals, and I'm part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've watched the episode of on the hunt last night with you bobcat hunting in western montana mm-hmm. loved it we're lion hunting with a chance of bobcats and we got went the, the other we, way we got the chance of bobcat and you got like a, a real gorgeous lunker of a bobcat mm. if you haven't checked that video out on the hunt mm-hmm. on the hunt meteors youtube channel the episode is called montana mountain lion i believe mm-hmm. and uh yeah Tell me about that trip. Oh, went to a giant national forest in kind of north central Montana. And, uh, yeah, w- went there to, you know, look for, try to catch a lion or, or a bobcat. And uh, I think we had five days, Jake and I. And um, it was cold. It was, it was like we were in a nice snow pattern. So we had, some kind of fresh snow skiff about every day which was sweet that's what we got cooking right now here yeah well down here well up where i've been at it's like hasn't been because i always thought i was surprised that a lot i knew a couple people that were out today and i'm like i always thought that most people didn't want to go cut their dogs loose if the high was not going to make zero that's kind of the that's the unspoken rule that's the the like the moral uh code i think i've heard that's kind of the what i try to bad for their lungs to run in that kind of cold yeah but god there's so many variables to all of it how deep's the snow how fresh is the track how far away like are you going to lose them for five hours or do you think this is going to be a 20 minute chase i don't know sure anyways uh and yeah, we actually, it was a bummer because we're filming and we need, and when we film, Meteor does a really good job of always securing film permits for any of the land we're going to be filming on. And so just because you got the national forest permit doesn't mean that you got the state land permits, doesn't mean that yeah. you got any private land permits yeah. and any other, you know, sometimes there's just some random agency. Maybe it's some, maybe it's there's some public land that's, you know, owned and, and run by the city in that area or the county. You just don't know. Well, it turns out that a big chunk that we ended up on, and sure enough, caught like our freshest track, running right down, walking down the middle of the road. Didn't even run it. Lion or Bobcat? Lion. Lion. Yeah, didn't make some the, like didn't make the episode county water treatment dirt or some bullshit. Just, just to protect the protect the place, I'm not going to mention any more details. But yeah, mm-hmm. not it, you know it wasn't under our national forest permit, and uh, so we uh, we tried. We that's we, not even in the episode. It was, no, no, we worked multiple angles to get the, and we actually thought we had a great story going. It was a good story. Uh, but had we gotten access, I think it would have gone well with, with, you know, these managers of this, uh, property. But anyways, we, uh, 
they would have given it to us, but they couldn't give it to us overnight. Like it was going to take a week to go through the right channel. It turns out this is time sensitive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, didn't even turn out on that track. We probably should. Just, it was public land. We should have just turned out on it and treated it, and uh, and then gone about our you know our trip the rest of the week. But we we just we just kept looking for other tracks. So it goes. Um, and uh, we actually cut a mountain line track on the very last day too. It ended up being uh, it was probably a two day old track, mm. uh, but they were they moved it a solid. I don't know. I don't know. At least a half a mile, maybe a mile. They wanted it. And then they they found a spot where it's like all the deer in the area were. I mean, we got to a spot where it, it was just nothing but deer tracks, and you could look any direction and catch like a glimpse of a deer running away from you. I mean, just so many deer. Call that the bait ball. Yeah, exactly. And then there's a there's a logging operation going on. Oh my <laughs> like, gosh! You know, tractors cruising around and and this that and the other. Even in the winter time. And so we. Lost the track. That was the end of it. Um, uh, that that was in the episode. But like I said, we did. We did. Jake found a uh, bobcat track. Uh, we had split up and checking different zones. He found a bobcat track. He didn't know how fresh it was. It was snowed in a little bit, but we we, we had boxed it in, meaning we you know gone at least three sides. That's right. Of this chunk of woods that we're where we thought he was uh, he was at and didn't see an exit track. And uh, we cut Jake's two dogs that are silent on the trail. Man, how did he train them to do that? No, I think they're bred that way. Okay. So, yeah, Jake's uh, a mentor, a hound mentor to both of us. Yep. And uh, the the bad dude in this episode. Uh, but his dogs are are super quiet. And my dogs are so loud. And I don't know if. Yeah, I can't yeah, they don't bark until them. the cat is jumped, which is advantageous. Why or how? Jake believes that it allows the cats or the dogs to sneak up on the cat, basically get closer to the cat before the cat is aware of the dog's presence. And where we were hunting, it, it, you know, a lot of things were setting up that it would make it beneficial for this because the snow was extremely deep. A bobcat is made to run across that snow. These hounds are not. Mm-hmm. And they can very quickly get out ahead and then start doing maneuvers. Gypsy, uh, gypsy black magic yeah, is what I call it. They jump from tree to tree. They you know, run logs back and forth. They do all kinds of crazy stuff to, uh, to get away from hounds. And um, His quiet little dogs, though. Yeah, they just get right they, they're coming in, and basically the only, like, they're only going to bark once they actually see the cat, and it's going to be pretty close. And at that point, the cat doesn't have a choice but just to go up a tree. That's at least the theory. Yeah, well, the proof's in the pudding. Jake's, Jake is an incredible houndsman, and he's got the resume to back it up and kills a lot of bobcats every year. Mm-hmm. He, he was telling me yesterday he was – Sold a couple bobcats and was getting like 500 bucks for them right now. Oh, good. Yeah, which would be high in recent history. Mm-hmm. I texted him. I was like, I'm watching you on the TV. <laughs> and he was like, I can't stand to listen to myself, my own voice or see. He was like, I will never watch that episode. <laughs> he said, I will never watch that episode. I was like, all right, I'll, I'll text you when I'm done. Let you know if <laughs> what I think. Yeah, that's a that's a hard thing. If you're going to be in this business, you got to get over it because nobody likes their own voice. 
in the beginning, I don't think. Yeah, if yeah. If no one does, that's a fact. And then there I think there is a threshold where you're like, yeah, it's just that's just my voice. I just heard I hear my I'm familiar with it. I've heard it enough. Mm. Did you eat that bobcat? We did. We, we did. Um Spencer and I ate it for an episode of Pardon My Plate. Mm. I think it's season two, episode three. He really wanted to, anything he did on that show, he really wanted to do very simple preparations so you could taste the meat. So he did a very simple, light brine, and then we smoked it. And it came out very ham-like. Ham-like. I, I would call it. Yeah. I mean, it was good. Like, no, nothing like, oh, yeah, that's kind of good. Like, totally okay to eat. Then I took the leftovers because I had whatever uh, another three quarters left, and we smoked all of them, and then I just I froze them. I might even have one left, but uh, the last thing I did with them is I made a pot of uh, gumbo. You did. Did some sausage. Did that. Uh, chopped that bobcat meat up into chunks. Kind of shredded it. Put it in there, and uh, it was delicious. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've ate a little bit of lion. But I've never had bobcat. I imagine that's identical. Yeah, I don't think many people could tell you. The difference. That's the thing, man. It's like the tofu. It's the tofu of wild game, right? It doesn't taste like nothing. You can kind of do whatever you want with it. But it, it can carry trigonosis. Mm -hmm. So you got to cook it a long time. Not necessarily a long time. You just got to at 170. Least, yeah. Well, they've dropped it now. Is that One, right? One fifty, you'll do it. Yeah, you already got it, so I don't anymore. I could get it again. I thought that shit was for life. You thought wrong. Is that right? I thought it lived dormant in your muscles forever or something. It lives dormant in your muscles until the process starts again, but it can't live forever. That little cyst eventually just breaks down and then your body just absorbs the whole thing. We ain't gonna live forever. <laughs> At some point the the vehicle doesn't last either. Yeah. Um, we had a funny talk the other day when we were hiking about shooting mountain lions with a bow and arrow. Yeah. And what that and who does that? Why would you do that? Uh, what pros and cons to that? And you had a really funny but kind of strong opinion about it. And that you hit the nail on the head. I've shot two lions, and they were both with my bow, and those cats were dead before they hit the ground, like very extra dead cats. Um, I've seen archery shots go wrong. I've seen rifle shots go wrong. It's somehow the most difficult, easiest shot of your life for the average person shooting a mountain lion. Have well, I think that, that even even you know a big one is let's say 150 pounds, and that's a freaking giant. That is. And you know, I mean, think about it: 150 pound whitetail. The lungs on that cat are probably half the size. That's right. I'm guessing, but half the size of that whitetail's lungs. Whitetail's lungs are maybe eight inches square. So yeah, bring that down to. You're talking that it could be four or five inches of lungs. The heart is maybe a baseball. Um, it's not a big target. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. So you're not – yeah, I wouldn't attribute it to the anatomy. 
I would attribute it to just the human. Oh, sure. There's some shaking going on. I see it a lot in uh, bear hunters, too. Like, if maybe you shot a hundred deer in your life, but you get a bear in your crosshairs, and you really just come unglued, and you might be a proficient hunter. Um, But anyways, the archery aspect of things, my opinion as a houndsman, people say, what what weapon should I use if I want to harvest a mountain lion? I tell them, bring the biggest damn rifle you got. Extra dead cat is extra good by me mm-hmm. because a wounded cat is a big problem. Mm-hmm. And if you own the dogs, <laughs> yeah, you want. Yeah, to I hope I that. never have to deal with chasing down a wounded lion. You have not done that yet. No, I have done this several times, and it is nightmare fuel. Have they ever baited S- one up and yes. gotten in a fight? Yes. Ugh. Yeah, two years ago, Sphinx fought a tom dying in a creek. And the hunter slid down the hill, had a lever action thirty thirty, and shot the cat in the head at like two feet, while it had he had sphinx. And the hunter just literally slid up from me to you and shot it. Sphinx has the scars to show it. Luckily, I've had to staple couple sphinx and tracks a couple times after little scraps. One time they fought a bobcat, and the little bobcat. On the ground, ripped them up, ripped their thin skin up. Oh, yeah. Bobcats are no joke. You got a staple gun? No. You should. should Probably get one. I'll try to get one for you. It's a good thing to have because those hounds have such thin skin. You got some more cat hunting ahead of you, or are you thinking about turkeys now? Uh, I'm definitely thinking about turkeys because I'm going to Florida in a week. Is that is that that soon? Yeah, next Thursday. And that is for a Osceola. That's right. Osceola turkey. And you're hunting Florida public land. Mm-hmm. That's wicked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, should be good. I think we might have a little private lined up too for our second hunt. We'll see. It has never hurts. No, no, no. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. But at the same time, um, I'm lucky where I have the ability now to schedule days and time to you know at least i say go lion hunt at least go look for tracks yeah and you know you can it depends on how early you get up you can look for tracks for four or five hours and still be sitting at your desk by 9 a.m and knock out a full day of work although usually if i do that by about three i'm starting to get a little little cross-eyed a little cross-eyed a little tired but uh yeah i don't know uh yeah i'm hoping to i don't know we got we got what it's like the middle of February. We got till the middle of April, so we got two months. And a lot of all the a I'm lot of quotas get, are open. I'm hoping, yeah. And I don't care if they all close; I'll still be out there. Of course, but I want you to get one. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, really so do. yeah, I'll I'll definitely still be still be hunting and uh, and getting after it. Pitch me your new podcast. Mm. Gear talk. I love it. Gear Talk, uh, Jordan Budd and I co-host that. And you guessed it, we talk about gear. Uh, We've only done 10 episodes. Some of our recent episodes, we did one um, with the, sometimes we have gear experts, we call them on. And we talk about, uh, like recently we had a uh, gal on, Heidi, from Nick Wax. And she talked about gear maintenance. 
and mostly talked about outerwear and boots. Waterproof and stuff. Yeah, keeping your keeping your waterproof gear working well, keeping your waterproof boots working well, keeping your boots lasting a long time. It's you know a lot of this gear. It's high-end stuff, but if you don't take care of it, you're not going to get anywhere near the life out of it that you could if you take care of it. And most people don't wash their hunting clothes. Mm-mm. Not nearly enough. Um, we've also covered topics like uh, what goes into building a boot. Um, we've done some you know, episodes where we just answer listener questions. Uh, we yeah, I like it. I I uh, didn't know Jordan and before this podcast, but I've I've really enjoyed her perspective on things and her uh, addition to what you guys are doing. Um, I like the conversation you guys talked a lot about shelters. I want to get one of these floorless shelters. You got we got to talk about this more. Mm-hmm. They're nice. Yeah, they are, and I think I just been a little bit brainwashed to think that they're not a good option but i i think they are yeah no there's there's a hundred percent this idea that somehow if you're caught in a rainstorm yeah they're like insufficient the water is just going to start running into your tent or the wind um you can guy line them out and oh yeah and their shape bucks the wind great turns out they're super aerodynamic yeah no they're they're awesome for that and they're spacious. I mean, you and I bear hunted. We live like kings in one. Damn right, and, we did. And uh, you can you can put a stove, wood stove in there, titanium wood stove that weighs a pound. It is just so slick to do. Um, do you affect? Af- do you efficiently dry stuff out, or oh, do you just get 100%. warm? Oh, one hundred percent. Oh no, you can get those things baking and dry stuff. You can. Oh you yeah. Can man- you can get. You can vent it and get that moisture cooking out the top and actually dry things out. Because mm-hmm. I always thought, I was, my thought was, yeah, it's nice to build a fire. You get warm. It's nice to get warm and then you can go to bed because then the fire goes out in two seconds. Yeah, no, I mean, those those small wood stoves, you got to keep feeding the beast. It, yeah. It's not like you're going to stoke it and then it's going to be ripping two hours later. Um, but... Yeah, any kind of condensation that might form, like if you're running just the single wall with no liner and you get condensation, when you're running the stove, that's all gone. Hmm. It just, especially in dry climates out here in the West. Just bakes it away immediately. Totally. Hmm. I got to get one. Yeah, I like them because you can you can be chilling in there with your boots on, not That's getting I, your yeah. the inside of your tent all mucked up, in mm-hmm. which you get the floor of your bathtub shelter mucked up with your boots. Then all of a sudden your sleeping pad gets mucked up, and your sleeping bag gets mucked up, and that you're not getting rid of that mud until right. you get home and right. clean it out, right? Where here they're big enough where you can have your sleep zone. Keep it nice and clean and tidy. Have your and boots. basically be yeah. hanging out with your boots on. It's like a uh, screen. It's like a screened-in porch. Yeah. You come in here. Good, good way to describe. Get it. out of the weather. You don't have to take your boots off. That's right. This is our screened-in porch. All right, Yanni. Let's do some more cat hunting before season closes. Thanks. Yeah, buddy. Thanks for coming over, bud. Yeah, we got sixty days left, so plenty of time. Boy, that sounds like a lot.